Good evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa. It's just the two of us tonight. Stephanie Burke is out. Matt Moniz is out. But uh, that's all right because we're here for you. And uh, we will be here to talk with you about the paranormal, which is what we do each and every Saturday night. And we're going to be talking about all kinds of paranormal things tonight because we have joining us a little bit later on, Greg and Dana Newkirk. You know them from Planet Weird. You know them from the Traveling Museum of the Occult and the Paranormal. The Paranormal Occult. i got to make sure I say it in the right order. And uh, you know them from, you've seen them on television, you've seen them online, you've seen them all over the place. And, and Dana is one of the, I don't know if you know this, Matt, but Dana is one of the founding paranormal TV stars. Is she? Oh, yeah. She had a show in Canada before Ghost Hunters was even on TV. Really? So maybe we'll talk to her a little bit about that. They, they Every once in a while, you know... Uh, Hulu, I think, adds it to their streaming. It's called the Girly oh, really? Ghost Hunters. Yeah. Oh, was it what? Was it one of the first? Uh, I guess all female TV. Oh, probably. Uh, investigator yeah, shows? probably. Yeah. I mean, it's something we can't even get on television now. Mm. People complain. By the way, that leads me to the first thing that I want to talk about tonight. That uh, that casting call that we posted. Yep. Well, that I posted. It's very rare that. I post something on the, like on the Spooky South Coast Instagram, like all that witty, creative stuff. That's all Matt. He does all that. But uh, so I posted that casting call up because the production company reached out to me. They're working with somebody that uh, that I know and trust, and and I was asked to help out and spread the word because they're looking for a particular person for that show. They're looking for a male paranormal investigator who has a focus on the historical research, but also a focus on the technology. So I get the email. Of course, I think they're talking about me, right? Obviously. Right, of course. But, you know, I send some clips along, and they're like, well, maybe you can share that around anyway, just in case we don't decide to. So I was like, okay, I get it. <laughs> right. It's because I have a beard because I'm fat. But anyway, so they, no, they, they asked us if we could share it around. So... I posted it up on all of our social media thinking, you know, that's the best way to reach people. We know all kinds of people in the paranormal world. They like us. They follow us on social media. So this is the best way to do it rather than, you know, try to single out people and find them on my own and recommend them and say, hey, maybe you should contact these people. And I just don't have that kind of time anyway. So I put it up on social media and... We just started getting killed. Killed from people. Why does it have to be a guy? Women research the paranormal too. I know. And I support that. And I don't know if you're new to the show or not, but we've talked to plenty of female paranormal researchers. We have one every week on the show as a co-host. She's just under the weather tonight. But... That didn't stop people. People who know us, by the way. Not just like random listeners right. who, you know, we've never interacted with. People people that we know. It's not your casting call. And that's what it is. It's a casting call. When they put out a casting call for a fictional show, and they say, we're looking for a uh, 48-year-old woman with red hair, uh, 
you know, some, somewhere in the range of uh, 200 to 250 pounds. Uh, nobody starts complaining like, that's ageist, that's sexist, right. that's, you know, uh, what, what's it when they complain about it? Body shaming. You know, like, the, nobody comes out and starts making all those complaints because it's a casting call for a particular role. And when people are on television or in the movies or in a play or what have you, there are certain roles and certain people that have to play those roles. Right. They're, they're looking for something specific. So that's what this casting call was all about. Now, the company, Painless Productions, said we will take other, you know, uh, photos and videos and, and you know, uh, resumes and what have you and from anybody else that wants to put one in. But for this particular casting call, they need a person. And they need a person because they've already got other people for the show. So it's not like the show is only going to be about this male age 38 to 43, whatever the, you know, whatever the, the qualifications were, the show is not just about that person. They just need somebody who fits that demographic to put into what they already have going on. And that's what they want. They want, you know, I'm not this particular show, I'm not trying to speak for it, but in general, television wants to have representations of as many different demographics as they can so that people that are watching it have somebody to identify with. So uh, I don't think Larry Glick is still kicking around, Bart. I'm sorry. I do I do remember. I do remember Larry Glick, though. I remember my dad driving around, listening to it, and doing impressions of Larry Glick, too. And he used to like to do impressions of the Larry Glick callers, which was always funny. Tim Bohannon. We have huge Jimbo Hannon fans here at WBSM. We're not on WBSM right now because the football game is, but we are streaming live on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com. And if you go to our website, you can see the show. If you go to our YouTube channel, you can see the show. You can actually watch what's going on in the studio, which for tonight will mostly just be me because it's just myself and Matt. Matt never puts a camera on himself. And even if he did, all you would see is him furiously doing things over there. To a lot of clicking, a lot of, a lot click. of yeah, you, a lot of clicking. Click it's it's almost like you could be the clickacy. Yeah, that's a little plug there for Bart L. Um, by the way, if you uh, if you do enjoy the show and you want to talk with people during the week about the show or just about some of the topics that we discuss here, anything weird and, and woo, as Bart likes to say, then just go to lgab.com. And you can sign up there, and you know you can even use a screen name. You don't have to use your real name. We all have what, what was the the phrase that was used earlier? We all have code names on LGAB. If you want to uh, join up there, and uh, and you can keep the discussions going all week long. And while you're there, there's some ads, and help out and click those ads because right now this month, clicking those ads help keep that site going so that people can meet up there and talk about all kinds of strange things. But then also, every other month, it goes to, not every other month besides this one, but you know every other month, you know one month for the site and then one month to a great cause, to a good charity. So uh, you're doing your part to help numerous people. I know last month they were helping animals that were uh, displaced by the, uh, the wildfires. So just go there and click. And listen, if you like the show, if you like Spooky South Coast, and you go to our website, and you go to LGAB this month, 
one of the ads that you'll see is for our store. We now have products in our store. People have been asking for products. We do not have, uh, we don't have uh, glass bowls or CBD oil or any of the other products like you hear. What, what else do they talk about on, on paranormal shows? What else do they promote? We don't have any, uh, what else do they, you know, no um, super beta prostate formula, right. none of that stuff. And nope, it's just all kinds of stuff with our logo on it. So you can get shirts, you can get sweatshirts. You know, people have been asking us for hoodies for years. You can get those. You can get baseball shirts, tank tops, all those kind of things. Uh, then you could also get cell phone cases. You could get laptop covers and tablet covers and all that stuff. You could fully represent Spooky South Coast. Right. More than we do, I should point out. <laughs> right. There's people right. out there now that have ordered, like, the complete package of, like, merchandise materials. I'm like, you love this show more than we yeah. do. I, I have a black car now. I think I'm going to get some uh, some decals. The Spooky South Coast decal. It's only like two fifty yeah. to get the decal. I'm going to get a giant one for my hood. You can get. The, you can actually get bigger ones made. You're going to do it like a. You're going to do like a Firebird with yeah. a Spooky South Coast logo. <laughs> yeah. That's that would be awesome. Be actually. I'll never forget. You know, uh, and everybody out there will start asking us if we have any more, and, and we don't. But um, the bumper stickers were always hugely popular when we first started doing the show and we have the bumper stickers and we would give them out to people and um, we used to bring them to like if we did a if we did a lecture somewhere or whatever we'd bring the bumper sticker people don't really use bumper stickers anymore no that's why the that's why i went with the decals yeah they want stickers for their for their laptops and stuff and they want to put the sticker yeah put your sticker on your laptop put your sticker on your uh even on your car window but nobody wants to put a bumper sticker on their car Mm -hmm. um so I'll never forget, though, the first time I'm driving and I saw a car with a spooky South Coast bumper sticker on it. I was like, whose car is this? Like, I wanted to follow them to their, to their house. So that was my plan, Yeah, was I was going to follow them because I forget where I was going, but I was, you know, I was on the road that leads to my house. Right. And it was a white van and it had a spooky South Coast bumper sticker on the on the on the back bumper. And I was like, Oh, I'm gonna follow them and I wanna see where they go and I wanna see who gets out of the car. And then I thought to myself, that's a bad idea because if they have the spooky South Coast bumper sticker on their car, they probably listen to the show. Mm-hmm. And they probably would know who I was. And then they would probably freak out because why right. the hell is Tim Weisberg following me to my house? <laughs> You just like uh, knock on their window and be like, "Do you want me to sign your car?" That would have been a very good marketing strategy for us if we had thought of it at the time. You know, thirteen years ago, if right. we if we had said, "What we're going to do is we're going to find the five people that listen to the show back in two thousand six, seven, two thousand, yeah, two thousand six, we're going to find the uh, the five people and we're going to follow them home and we're just going to like you know just be there for them, whatever they need, total dedication." To our five listeners, if we had done that, we probably would have uh, we would have grown far faster than we did. Yeah, but you know, I mean, I guess it's not too late. We could still we could still follow people home. We could still go to their houses. I, I did something today that was very weird. I um, I went to uh, to a store. I was cleaning my car, which is weird for me because how many times have I done that in all the time that you've known me? I would usually yeah, clean a car right. the first time I bought it, like when I first bought it, and then I would never clean it again. Right. 
Um, but this one was clean when I bought it, so I felt obligated now, th- you know, two years later to clean it. So I'm cleaning my car, and I went to the store to go get some car cleaning materials. And the girl cashier was like, whoa, you're, you know, cleaning your car. It's kind of cold out to clean your car. I'm like, yeah, I know, but I got to do it. And uh, she was talking to me about how she's a neat freak mm-hmm. and how she just loves to clean. And, like, she cleans all day. Like, she goes over her friend's houses and just starts cleaning her friend's houses for no reason. And I looked at her and I said, will you come and clean my house? Yeah. And she said, actually, I, I would because I'm looking for extra money. So if you need me to come and clean your house, I will. And then I thought to myself, I just invited a perfect stranger to come to my home. A person who's just a, a cashier in a store. Yeah. I don't know anything about her. But your house is going to be clean. But, yeah, it might be cleaned be out. Clean or cleaned out, yeah. Yeah, like, I don't know her at all. And then the, so, if I wanted to have her come and clean, but I didn't trust her to be in my house, what's the option? What's my only other option? I would have to be there when she cleans. Right, or clean yourself. And that's, well, <laughs> come on, we're, we're dealing in reality here, Matt. So, but that's the other thing, is I could I could be there when she cleans the house, but then that's weirder. Because who sits there and, like, what am I going to do? Like, I'm not going to help, so that's out of the question, especially if I'm paying somebody. Mm-hmm. But I'm just going to, what, sit there and watch TV while you clean my house? Yeah, I... I- I wouldn't be able to be there if someone was cleaning my house because I would have to, like, I would feel the need to help. Even though I'm paying them, I would feel like I would have to help. The, the Yeah, well, that's the thing. And then, like, if I'm going to help, then why am I paying you? And also, the other part of it, too, is if you came to my house and I was paying you to clean it, as soon as you went to my house, you would realize I'm not the kind of person that can afford to pay someone to clean my house. Mm-hmm. So, like, then it becomes all kinds of awkward. Matt, remind me next week to get some, uh, to go to, uh, the store and get some blue duct tape. Many people, I know, uh, you know, Bart just mentioned it in the, in the chat room, but he is not the first person to bring this up. Other people have brought up to me that the, the missing blue that, uh, that, drives um, people crazy. That for Mike is, uh, vintage. Right. They are, they're going to be redoing the studio, uh, Eventually. So... I think it adds character. It will be kind of all redone. But maybe we can just get some blue duct tape just to cover that up. Because... (laughs) If only we had a spooky South Coast bumper sticker that was... Well, I didn't say (laughs) that they're all gone. I just said we don't have anybody anymore to give away. Right. Well, that's that's what we should do. Just put one right over that. It won't really... Like, it'll fold over. It'll look kind of weird. But, you know, it's... Easier than going out and buying some blue duct tape. That's right. But we'll we'll see what we can do to, to fix that up. I don't know, and, and I don't know why it gets like that because nobody like nobody sits over there. How did that get broken? I don't know. This is probably not great radio, but if you're watching on Spooky TV, you can see behind me. Like, how does that come off? You know, it's not like people are rubbing up against it or catching their shirts on it. Nobody, it's, it's, nobody's ever used that counter in all the time we've been here. And we have all these but counters I, that were put in. Nobody uses them for anything. I feel like it was. It's always been like that, though. Right. We need to. We need to uh, make sure that when they do the re, when they do the new design, and they rebuild everything, when they do all that, we need to make sure that they don't have anything that doesn't make any sense. Right. 
So, like, we don't need odd cabinets facing different ways than they should. We don't need any of that. This is the, this studio is like the Winchester Mystery House of uh, <laughs> of AM Talk Studios because mm-hmm. it's like that when they built it, they're like just add another cabinet door there to confuse the ghosts. Right. So remind me, by the way, that just reminded me. Remind me to tell you a radio station ghost story later on that I'm I can't tell it on the air. Okay. But uh, remind me of that. So that's that's. You know, going all the way back to what I started talking about, that's why the casting call was for a male. I would like to. I'd like to at least hope that most of the audience understood that, and right. I'd like to think that a lot of those comments were just kind of poking at us a little bit that they weren't serious but some of them definitely were like i thought we were gonna i thought we were gonna start having people like protest the show saying that we don't support women in the paranormal like go back and go through our archives and you will see that we have always supported women in the paranormal especially when we have one every week on the show not every week because she's sick tonight but so there you have it. If you want to apply, if you are a male between the required ages and you have the required technical know-how, just uh, go to our social media. You can follow us on Instagram. You can follow us on Twitter. You can like us on Facebook. And you will find that post there. And on that post, you can see all of the information for how you can apply. And then you will... Uh, get the show you'll get to be on the program and then when you make it onto the show because you found out about it on spooky south coast that means you have to come on to this show and, and give us the first interview before it airs right which is actually why we're going to have greg and dana on tonight because they have a new web series coming up they have a new program coming up on their planet weird website and what's funny is we've had them on the show before but never for an entire show. We've had them on for bits and pieces, you know, five, ten minutes here and there, and we've said, well, you know, we'll have you guys back on for a full show, and we never did it. And Stephanie was pushing and pushing and pushing, like, don't forget to bring Greg and Dana on for a full show. And so then I tell her last week, you know, we're having Greg and Dana on next week, full show. She was very excited, and then she goes and gets sick. So... Probably the plants. I did. I did what I could do. I booked them. Yeah. I can't. I can't keep I, her constitution. I blame. 100%. The, I blame the plants. She probably went to like a Home Depot and then walked through the plant section and then died. <laughs> She's. She was actually asking if we would take the plants out before the show, and then bring them back in so that they're not in the room mm-hmm. when the show's going on. And I, I wanted to say to her like. Listen, Stephanie, we love you, but not enough to carry this 200-pound plant out. They are really big. They're giant plants. I feel like you don't um, you don't have any... Yeah, you don't need this camera, right? Nope. So uh, I can put it over there. Yeah, let's see if we can get people a shot of just how big that plant is in the background. Is that is that in a good position for you? Oh, and uh, there it goes. <laughs> and now the mayor can't be on YouTube this week because I went and broke the camera. 
People are saying they can see the little ones behind me. But oh, you went to it right as I dropped it. That was good timing on my part. So look at that. Look at that giant plant. That thing weighs a ton. I know because I tried to move it so I could see out the window when I was in the news booth. But you want me to carry that plant out? Even the two of us together would struggle to carry that plant out. Right. It is a big plant. It, it it's it that's like if we fed that thing blood, it would try to take over the world. It's you're not gonna actually try to pick it up, are you? Oh okay. Oh. <laughs> well, let's point out, that's not a regular Coke can either. A 16-ounce Coke can. So that's like what, the equivalent of like maybe a can of Monster? Yeah, probably about that. Or at least a Red Bull. A little fatter, but at least as tall as one. So that gives you an idea of how big that plant is. If I thought of it, I should have put the plant... In Stephanie's spot, and then periodically during the interview, just faded off to her. I wonder if, like, even just seeing the plant would make her... Maybe. Make her react. Uh, Bart's Bart's going to come and stand outside the window. Yes, we've told people in the past, you really can't see it during the show, but we have a, an entire glass wall that we can see out into the parking lot. And so, yeah, anybody that comes to the show and stands outside, we will see you. We actually did a live radio drama... Which we're going to do again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been talking to some people. They want to do it. It was really fun. We just need a good script. And I have to, you know, Chris and I were talking about writing one, and maybe somebody out there has written one that they want us to perform, what have you. But mm-hmm. there's we, we did it where we had <clears throat> multiple microphones going around the the studio, and you were over here. And you were running all the sound effects and everything. We were going to do Foley. Like, we really wanted to, like, right. have you perform the sound I, effects. I was the digital Foley man. Yeah, but we couldn't We couldn't really get all the s- materials together. Like, you know, to you know, bring in the big metal sheet Saws to do, like, stuff, the, yeah. the thunder and all that kind of stuff. And so, um, and then I did the narration sitting over here. And then we had all the actors on the three crane mics going around. And we invited people to come sit outside. It was warm weather. So we said, bring a blanket. Sit outside, we and we f- we figured that they wouldn't be able to hear us, so we went to Walmart and bought a radio, so that they could sit out there and listen to the show as it's being performed, and it and it worked out pretty well. So maybe we could do something like that again. Maybe we could do it. Maybe we could do it on stage somewhere, and then just kick it back over the radio. Hmm. That's an idea. It's absolutely something to look into, and uh, we will. You know, we always have these great lofty ideas that we don't follow up on, but that's one that um, people keep asking for. And if you've never heard that episode of Spooky South Coast, if you just go back into our archives, which are all free, if you go back into uh, whether you go to – it won't be on YouTube because it was before we did YouTube. But if you go back to our um, iTunes podcast or anywhere else that you get podcasts and you look for old-time radio – Spooky South Coast, you will find that episode. We we broke it up. The first hour, we talked to a, an old-time radio expert. The second hour, we performed the play itself. And then the third hour, we actually went back and kind of talked about how it all came together. So it's a, it's a three-hour episode, and it's I think we also put the drama itself out just as a separate file, too, if you only want to grab that. But it was it was pretty... 
It was pretty well. It was well written by the folks who wrote it, but it was also well acted by the folks that came in and performed it. And it was all of our friends who were in the paranormal field, but also actors. You know, Leanne from the Lizzie Borden house and Keith Johnson had acted in plays together before in the past. And Lizzie Russell was here and she had been an actor. And, you know, Moniz and Andy had parts and it, it actually worked out pretty well. So you can go back there and check that out. And we'll do, we'll do another one. We'll do it in warm weather so people can come with blankets and lawn chairs and sit out for, outside. And maybe we'll even get some snacks together, you know, since we are the, we are the paranormal show that deals with snacks. I was waiting for you to say that's because you're a snack yourself, Weisberg, but huh. I guess, I guess you're not going to. All right. Well, why don't we get into the, uh, actual discussion for tonight's show and why don't we bring our friends Greg and Dana Newkirk on. And again, if you are not familiar with their work, you are going to really love all the different things that they do and all the different things that we can talk about tonight. Of course, we want to talk to them about the, you know, the new web series that's coming out, but we're going to touch upon a lot of different stuff. And if you want to call in at any point during the discussion, 508 996 0500. 877-996-1420 are the numbers. Just want to throw those out at the beginning because I know that people always have questions for Greg and Dana. They're going to call in. They're going to ask how different items from the museum are doing. They're going to call and ask about, you know, some of the new things that might be coming up and all the places they're going to be. But I will tell you this. They're going to be here. They're going to be here in New England coming up very shortly. So we'll have all those details as well. So let's bring them on to the line right now. Uh, good evening. Is this is this line Greg or is this line Dana? Hey, this is Greg. All right, Greg. We're going to lock you in. And now let's bring on Dana on this line. And hold on. We'll bring that up to you. And uh, whoa, there we go. Dana, are you with us? I am here. All right. So we've got you both on the line. And we're going to make the magic happen and uh, and hopefully keep the connection going. It's hard because we're... We're broadcasting only on the internet tonight, so because the the radio station's running a football game. Oh, I gotcha. So we get some gotcha. weird audio things that happen, but we'll we'll make sure that we can hear both of you. We'll blame it on the goblins, man. That's what I'm really excited about because I remember <laughs> it, it must have been what seven eight years ago that I I first heard you mention the idea of these goblins, Greg. That, that you first started going down this path. Yeah, it was, I think, seven years ago now. Crazy. And so what happened? How, how did this come about that, you know, you started researching this case? Oh, God. Uh, let's see. Uh, I got an email um, 2012, and it was from this guy by the name of, uh, he, he said his name was David Christie. I'm comfortable saying his full name now because, uh, you know, nobody, uh, you'll see, you'll see. Anyway. Uh, David Christie claimed that uh, these little creatures were coming out of a mine shaft on the edge of his property, and it just was a crazy story. It seemed way too good to be true, and uh, kind of blew it off at first. And then he sent photographs, and from that point on, it was just a race to <laughs> a race to the weirdest possible conclusion. I mean, it's it's got to be some. I mean, Danny, you guys get a lot of weird emails and a lot of weird stuff that comes your way but it's it's rare that something gets 
the both of you excited enough to actually get up and, and run out and chase this down? I mean, you would like to go out and chase these things down, but it, this was a different level of excitement from Greg. Were you a little bit concerned, Dana, with uh, just how much he was wanting to go out there and check this out? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, I mean, we're talking about something, first of all, that's really strange. I mean, most people aren't really actively looking for goblins. And I, what is a goblin at the end of the day? But, yeah, I mean, there were a lot of elements that made me really nervous. So I, I definitely tried to be a little bit more, uh, I tried to kind of rein it in a little bit, whereas I knew Greg was ready to kind of run in head first. Yeah, you, you kind of, you eventually learn, you know, to some degree what the expected level of, you know, how much you want to be into these things are. You, you, you kind of say, okay, like, we'll, we'll go and check, let's make a plan, we'll figure out when it is. Uh, but to have something like this that kind of just seemed to capture your attention, uh, you, you know, there's a little bit of an extra, a little bit extra at work when that happens. Uh, Greg, I know, too, that we, and I know that we've talked about this before in the past, you have to be really careful because the more that you guys have become known as people who investigate these weird claims, the more you're getting weirder and weirder people that want you to come out and see them. So there's that's the truth. There's safety concerns involved. I mean, that was the so going even further than that. I mean, one of the things that this guy uh, he he claimed he wanted to blow up the mine shaft that these things were coming out of that was on the edge of his property. And that alone was cause for pause because, number one, dynamite is not very easy to find. And two, uh, I don't know the legal repercussions of that. <laughs> you know, you're taking this guy's story at his word. Is it really his property? Is he just luring us out there to, I mean, is he, is he luring us out there to hurt us? Is he luring us out there to make us look stupid? Um, or is he really being assaulted? Uh, it's, it's the, there's like a back and forth, you know, usually that's why a lot of paranormal investigators make people go through, you know, psychological assessments before they bother to stay at their house. It's one thing to, to go and investigate somebody's paranormal claims, even as crazy as they may sound. It's another thing to be an accessory to a crime. (laughs) That's That's the truth. And, uh, you know, this was a much weirder thing than we'd normally gotten. I mean, because at the time, there's a lot of really weird elements in this case where this wasn't sent to us when we were doing, you know, Who Forded, which is now Weak and Weird. This was sent to my old ghost hunting team's email address. Uh, the website was still up, but it was a pretty defunct website. And there was no reason for this person to reach out to us. But he, you know, addressed me. Uh, somebody told him to contact me and said I would be able to help. And that's where it all started. It's, it's, it almost seems like, though, when, when you tell me that, when you tell me that it's something that is an older email address, I, I immediately worry about, you know, how long has he known about you? And how long has he been looking into you if he still has that old information? Well, that's another concerning thing because uh, whoever this person was was being directed, we think, by somebody else who had a lot more information about us and knew where we had been and knew people we'd been talking to and knew places that we'd been investigating. At least we believe. Um, it was is 
really, the, the more we got invested in the case, the more scary it began. Uh, it began to be, and eventually there was a point where we just kind of left it alone for a few years. I, don't, I mean, I don't blame you there. Dana, was there some trepidation on your part when you found out that it was, you know, somebody who was reaching out to through the older channels? Because obviously, you know, you guys get a lot of emails every day. You get phone calls every day. But to know that somebody's using something that is, you know, pretty much defunct, you, you got to be a little bit worried. And, and you that's what's great about you guys is, like, you kind of balance each other out to some degree. So <laughs> when Greg's getting all excited about this, were you kind of being the one to caution him about, hey, wait a minute, you know, this is this is an older email address that he really shouldn't even have? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I'm the first to say I'm a full-on chicken. <laughs> I am usually not really excited about, you know, running headfirst into situations like this. So, yeah, I mean, specifically, there's something super creepy about someone who, like, it, it, it appears as if they know where you've been and they, they're they aware of what you're doing and, and they're kind of taunting you with that a little bit. That is a, a really, really scary feeling to have. Yeah, I mean, and and I mentioned this a little bit at the at the uh, beginning of the show, but you know, you're somebody who was kind of in the public eye with paranormal stuff going all the way back to what 2000, when yeah. when Girly Ghost Hunters was on. So I mean, you're probably used to people who are either you know knew you then and and are just rediscovering you now, or people who might have uh, you know been following along with you all that time. And it's it, it it can get a little weird when they reach out to you that way and say. You know, I, I've I've been watching you since you were on television in two thousand. <laughs> Absolutely, I think you've got to you've got to have some kind of uh, you know, there's like self preservation there where you you have to assess certain situations and and even people to a degree. You have to think about whether or not this is, is a safe you know situation for you to go into. And uh, I was really nervous about everything that had to do with this case. So so Greg, how long was it before you? you know, made the decision to actually go and, and, uh, well, I mean, first of all, it probably took you a little while to even decide to reply back to the email and to get back in touch with, with this gentleman. But what was kind of the timeline to really want to go out there and, and see this for yourself? Well, don't underestimate my curiosity because I emailed him <laughs> back like right away. <laughs> I I emailed him back like right away. I pretty much email anybody who has something weird. I want I want to know more. I mean, that's how I decide how invested I want to be. Sure. So I emailed him back, and we exchanged a, a few emails over the course of a few weeks, and uh, it, it finally got to this point where he had sent these photographs of these three-toed footprints. Um, the footprints we showed them to everyone we could think of. Uh, we showed them to wildlife experts. We shared them on Facebook with our friends. Um, you know, a lot of people had different opinions, but no one could quite figure out what made them. Uh, the one really cool thing, the, the, the cool thing about trafficking in lots of different paranormal areas is we knew a ton of Bigfoot hunters. And Bigfoot hunters were like, hey, these things are interesting because they have dermal ridges, and those are very hard to hoax. So these are probably real. We just don't know what made them. They look a little bit like some Bigfoot tracks that we've seen because uh, there's some three-toed Bigfoot prints that have been collected. And so all of these different things coming in, um, you know, he sent us photographs of the creatures, which are, you know, in typical paranormal fashion. They're very blurry. They're hard to make out, but almost look like these little, uh, these little, almost like gray alien-type beings creeping around, looking around a tree. 
so after that, we just both said, you know, okay, there's something to this. Let's get this guy's address and do some more deep creeping. Um, so at this point, I said, okay, um, we're in. Let us know. How do we get in touch with you? You know, what's your phone number? Um, let's set up a date. And then we never heard from him again. Uh, you know, even then, it would have been hard for us to get down to see him because we were in Canada at the time. I was going through Canadian immigration. So we were landlocked for a while, but there was always the option of finding somebody that we knew, you know, the uh, closer to Kentucky. Um, and then we just we just never heard from him again. And so we just kind of dropped it. It was really interesting, but there was nothing else we could do. Um, you know, years later, I even sent him a, a follow-up email. You know, I'd sent him several over the years. But eventually one day, uh, 2015, I believe it was, the email bounced. So he had deactivated his email address. Um, we couldn't find any reference to this guy. Uh, you know, we called the local police. The, the police said, yeah, we get reports of stuff like this once in a while, uh, but we can't really give you any details. So something we thought something was going on. It seemed like it was the right area. Uh, seemed, we, knew that, we knew the town that it had allegedly happened in, um, but we couldn't go anywhere. And then it got really strange because this other guy started to email who, who went by the, the screen name Terry R. Wrist. This guy <laughs> was very uh, uh, concerning because he spoke in a weird, like talked in a, typed in a weird broken type of text and said he had something for us. And then he sent us GPS coordinates. To a place that we had been just like a couple months before. Well, he didn't give you an explanation as to what the coordinates were about? Uh, he said, why did you stop when you were so close? Uh, I have something for you one week. And then he said, uh, Hellier, which is the name of the town that this happened in. He said, Hellier was a symptom. Uh, the, the door is closed. The window is open. Use the numbers. And at first, we thought that the numbers were a credit card because they lined up perfectly with the, a credit card number, but it didn't belong to any bank. And that's when one of our friends on Facebook pointed out, oh, those are GPS coordinates. Um, and they were to Brown Mountain, which is a place that we had just been uh, doing a whole – we were looking for uh, an underground alien cave base and doing some alien abduction experiments for a project that never materialized. And – it was very scary that somebody knew where we were because we weren't really talking about it. Right, I was going to say, did you? It would seem very unlike you to to broadcast the location of where you were if you were working on something that you know was going to be coming down the pike later on. For Usu sure. Yeah, usually you keep that stuff under wraps, and you, you know you might give a tease and say we're working on something really cool. We'll have more information for you later. But for him to have known that you were already there is uh, that's that's extra freaky. Well, and the other weird thing uh, that was a little concerning was the fact that this guy, he was the person that originally told David to get in touch with us in the first place. He actually uh, name drops him at some point. This guy, uh, the only reference we could find to that, to that fake name was in the back of a really weird, obscure old book from the 90s called Secret Cipher of the Euphonauts uh, by Alan Greenfield. And he is an occultist who uh, does a lot of investigation of, of UFO phenomena. 
and believes that they're very linked. And there's an interview with this guy, Terry Rist, in the back. And it is uh, pretty wild stuff. It's not stuff that I ever subscribed to. Uh, it was about a lot of, like, the old Richard Shaver mysteries going down into caves and, and with, you know, Vietnam veterans and, you know, killing aliens. Uh, stuff that was very over the top. Um, and it was the only reference we could find to this guy was in these was in these books. And those books ended up becoming a really big point of investigation the more we, we got invested in the case. Oh, so it, it seems like this is just a – it's not just the weirdness of this particular instance uh, with, with these goblins, but this is a history of weirdness uh, because you're you're dealing with people that are – you know, they're just as much invested into this as, as you are. This isn't the average, like, hey, you know, I have this weird thing going on in my house or in my yard. I need you guys to come check it out. This is somebody who, who knew what they were dealing with. Oh, for sure. And, uh, you know, the more that we started to look into these, these cases, the more we realized, oh, wow, there's something strange happening. So we, we, we started to call them Kentucky Goblins because they sounded quite a bit like the Hopkinsville case that happened uh, way over on the western side of Kentucky in 1955. You know, the idea of a farmhouse being besieged by these creatures that people thought were extraterrestrial. Uh, it, 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 there were a lot of the same kind of themes happening. So we started to refer to them as, as the return of the Kentucky Goblins. Well, we realized there's a, a the biggest cave system in the world. It's a mammoth cave system. And all these people were talking about these things coming out of caves. And when you follow that cave system, it runs all the way up the Appalachians. And you start to look into stories of little creatures coming out of caves, harassing families. Um, people have been giving them different names for hundreds of years. But they all share so many of the same characteristics that it's very likely people have all been experiencing the same thing. But because they've been separated regionally, they've just named them different. And, you know, the one clue that we had to go on was we had talked to uh, a Geraldine Sutton, who is the uh, daughter of one of the guys, uh, Lucky, who was involved in the original Hopkinsville case. She helped them with the Kelly Green Man Festival. Uh, she, she's the last one in the family who's willing to talk about the story. There are still people who are alive that were there when the goblins attacked the, the farmhouse, but they won't talk about it because they've been mocked so much. Um, she, we, I actually met her, and she took me to the site where this, this crash of this spaceship was supposed to have happened in 1955, and they showed me a cave entrance. And no one had ever talked about the cave. So it seems to me like there's something going on in the Mammoth Cave system and whatever is going on in Hellier, whatever was happening in Hopkinsville, a lot of that stuff seems to be related. It's just trying to put those pieces together on a map. Hmm. So, so Dana, when does the decision come about to actually go out there? Because, you know, like we said, you know Greg, he's he's ready to go as soon as he hears the story, but when, when does the decision come out to say, like, we need to go out there and see this for ourselves? Um... So eventually, we hilariously enough, we ended up moving to uh, Cincinnati, which is right on the border of Kentucky. And um, uh, we decided at that point we were going to just kind of go and do a little recon and just see see what this place felt like, what it looked like, what we, um, you know, what, what kind of vibes we got from it. 
which was uh, kind of our, it was our first kind of adventure there and it was it was interesting and it was enough um you know kind of poking around and talking to people and hearing some stories it was enough to get us to um you know really want to kind of come back again uh, with a larger group of people and so now you know when you when you go there and you're physically there and and you know, we hear about all these places where where high strangeness has happened. They have a feel to them. Did you feel, Dana, like when you got there, like this was the kind of place where, yes, something weird either did happen or is about to happen? Absolutely. I, it, it's true. I mean, it sounds like such a trope, but it really is true. There's definitely a feeling. There's, there's kind of a static to the air. It just feels very uh, different. It feels like something has happened or something is happening. And I very much felt it. I mean, we've we all the group of us who've been investigating in that area have all felt it. And I mean, going right back to the first time that Greg and I stepped foot in Hellier, we we definitely felt it. So who and and who Dana did you bring bring along with you? Who's involved in the uh, in the ongoing investigation? So originally, um, uh, our friends Carl uh, Pfeiffer and Connor Randall actually we kind of became a part of this case. Uh, by synchronicities and um, really it was sort of Carl was sort of the driving force behind getting us to kind of recollect our thoughts and, and you know really go back to this place from kind of a documentary standpoint to, to document what we could experience kind of dig into this case and really do the work really at that point um, so that kind of became the core team uh, the four of us and uh, Carl's uh, assistant cameraman Rashad we really just there was you know, just five of us, and we were really just kind of ready to um, dig in and do the work and document it as well as we could and, um, you know, be able to share that entire kind of investigation with, um, you know, everyone. And, and it's good, Greg, too, that you guys have a, a Rolodex of people that you can reach out to for the different strange things that you can encounter to see if, you know, there's similar reports from other places or, or anything that might tie in. Uh, you know, were, were you reaching out to other people with some of the things that you found to see if it linked up to maybe some other weird reports you've heard of, of similar phenomena? Oh, a- absolutely. I mean, I think I think it's uh, one of the best tools in, in any paranormal investigator's arsenal are people who uh, think differently than you, who investigate different things than you do. Uh, so we've always been of the mindset you know, at least for the last five or six years, that a lot of this phenomenon is connected. So, you know, we, we reached out to friends of ours who were UFO investigators, and we reached out to, to cryptozoologists, and we asked for their opinions on things that were going. And, and uh, you know, even, you know, we, we talked to our, our good friend, John Tenney. Uh, you know, Tenney even makes a, a brief appearance in the documentary because he's the guy that we went to when we had exhausted uh, all of our other weird ideas and we were frustrated about what was happening. Um, you know, we reached out to anybody we possibly could. You know, one of the things that we did is we it, all the information that we were comfortable sharing publicly, we put online. We wrote a really in-depth article that listed everything, even as crazy as it might sound, from Secret Cipher of the Euphonauts to the idea of, you know, speaking to Alan Greenfield at one point in an email. Uh, he seemed to believe that we were being fed disinformation by somebody and that we should be careful because we probably don't want to go where this person was sending us. Um, so everyone from occultists to ufologists, cryptozoologists, paranormal investigators, um, you know, historians, folklorists, 
everyone. I mean, it was all incredibly valuable in the end. And, and what's key about that is that you weren't you weren't making any snap judgments about what was going on. You weren't going into this with any preconceived notions. So to be willing and open to explore all those different avenues, you know, that's that's what's missing for a lot of people when they research things is they go into something thinking that they, they have answers. And they just well, try to find the evidence to answer, you know, reach those answers, uh, you know, back up the answers that they already have. I mean, that's everybody's going to view something through their own lens, which is where having multiple lenses is really valuable. Uh, especially, I, I'm sure you've noticed the same thing, Tim. There are people who they stick to one particular thing. So whether it's cryptozoology or ufology or whatever, and they they don't really want to cross wires with people who investigate other things. And I don't think that's a great thing because the more people start to realize we're all experiencing very similar things, we're just framing them differently based on our own interests, you start to realize there's so much crossover. And in that crossover are the real answers. So I think it's very important that everyone who investigates the, the, the paranormal has a, a really wide view, or at least has people to surround themselves with who can give them a different lens to, to peer through once in a while. And, and Dana, I'm sure you can look, too, to some historical cases, like just for example, you know, look at the Mothman case, a very, you know, very famous case that I think most people that are listening to this program are familiar with, but there's no one solid answer in something like that. It, it touches on all different uh, parts of the the supernatural and the unknown. So to go into a case like this that can have all those, those all of those different factors, y- you know, you, there is at least some precedent to to see exactly what Greg's talking about. To see this kind of cross germination of different approaches. Yeah, I mean, you have to. Uh, the one thing that you know, Greg and I talk about a lot, and I know Car- Carl and Connor do as well, is the idea that you have to be ready to go into these types of investigations, ready to just go where you know where it takes you you have to be willing to kind of be open to the experience and so i mean for us that's exactly it it's you can't kind of put it into a box and say well it's ghosts or it's it's, you know it's definitely ufos or it's bigfoot you have to just be willing to kind of look at the phenomena and the experiences that people are having and what's happening in these areas and be ready to kind of not be able to put it in a box and 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 at the end of the day be okay with that which is really hard for a lot of people specifically when you know they're very focused on one aspect of the paranormal and and was the decision made right from the beginning to uh to document this uh you know to obviously you know you're going to film things anyway but did you come at this with an approach of you know let's see where this goes because this could make a, a very interesting documentary series or or even a documentary film was that something that was talked about at the beginning or did that just kind of happened naturally as uh, as your investigation went on oh um, god I, no yeah I, the, the documentary was that was all carl um, yeah in, in fact you know around 2015 we had gone out to uh, you know, to kind of just do an initial creep on the town of Hellier and see what's going on there and speak to people and see if it was worth going back. And we got a lot of really interesting stuff. Um, there was a lot of really, a lot of really weird sightings, a lot like UFO in particular, a lot of weird UFO sightings. Um, but you know, when you, when you start to talk to people about goblins, they kind of scratch their head a little bit because the name goblin and all that the weight that that carries from pop culture it's very it's very tough to swallow for people and so 
once we had had made an initial investigation of the town, and we'd, we'd run around and talk to people and kind of made our presence known and handed out some business cards, we got people that said, hey, you know, I've seen a three-toed footprint out in this place. And, and very sincere, very helpful. But our lives changed quite a bit around that point because we uh, we just started working at an Internet startup. And we were working like 14 hours a day, seven days a week. And we didn't have time to drive, you know, four and a half, five hours out to this place and see what was going on. And, you know, then we started to do you know, we did an episode of Finding Bigfoot, and then things just kind of spiraled from there. But it wasn't until uh, 2017 that Carl really kind of lit a fire under everybody's ass and said, listen, uh, I had this really weird synchronicity. I was listening to you talk about this on a podcast. And immediately the auto-tweeter from uh, Week and Weird tweeted the article about it on Twitter while he was watching from a, a you know almost 2,000 different randomized tweets. And he said, this means something. Right. We should do this. Oh. And he put it all together. And uh, a few months later, we were in Cincinnati gearing up to go hit the mountains. Wow. And... I'm, I'm going to ask Dana this question because, you know, being the, the Canadian of the bunch, you know, you, you, you have a different perspective on, on how weird some of us Americans can be. How did you find the people of Hellier when you went there? What, what, what did you think about them, uh, you, you know, kind of individually and, and collectively as a whole? Surprising. I mean, for, for a place that is, you know, it is kind of isolated, everyone was really helpful and really nice, and they they were ready to kind of, like, tell us their stories. And they, you know, we got a lot of kind of eye rolls, which is understandable. Again, like Greg said, when you drop the word goblin on someone, they, they don't necessarily know how to process that or what it even means because it isn't really a thing um, in their eyes anyway. So, you know, there was a lot of eye rolls and kind of like, who are these people? But for the most part, people were really excited to tell us their stories because, they were experiencing weird things or they had experienced weird things and they didn't really have anyone to talk to about what they had experienced. So for the most part, um, everyone was really, you know, welcoming, kind of like ready to tell us their stories. But, but Greg, too, there's there's it's been helped by the fact that enough of this weird stuff is in the media now that people are, are a little bit more comfortable talking about it you must have encountered some people where it was you know somebody might have said hey you know go see joe joe's got a story to tell you and then when you go to see joe joe's like well, i don't want to talk about it you, you must have had to do some some poking and prodding to get some of these people to share oh oh loads and i and i know you know even now you know we're a, less than a week away from the launch of the series i know that a, a lot of the residents of hellier are very concerned uh because they don't want to look foolish um, which I totally understand because they're just they just have an idea in their head of how this is going to be portrayed. But everyone was very helpful, even if they didn't believe. Everyone was willing to tell us uh, a story or a story that they had heard. Um, you know, there were there were people who were saying like, "Hey, we've got a fleet of APVs. We know where there's weird sounds coming out of a cave. My son was hunting, and he found this three-toed footprint. It was up by this cave. We never thought it would be, you know, we just thought it was a weird quirk. Let's go. Let's check it out. Um, you know, some people, I, I think the nature of places that are out of the way, uh, sometimes people go there to be out of the way. They don't want people poking around their business. They don't want people asking them questions. They don't. 
there, there, there is a bit of a fear of, of outsiders, which uh, I totally get. Uh, but overall, everyone was very helpful, even if it was just like, hey, don't go in that mine because it's real dangerous. <laughs> so everyone was, was pretty great. Well, I mean, that's an experience unto itself is, you know, we go to all kinds of weird places in, in, in what we do, and we usually take precautions as much as we can to keep ourselves safe. But when you say, you know, you're going into these mines, I mean, that's that's something that uh, has all kinds of inherent dangers that, you know, are, are like nothing you've ever experienced before. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the one thing everyone has to realize about this is Dana and I, well, you know, we're not cryptozoologists. Uh, Carl and Connor, we're not cryptozoologists. We weren't going into this with, with a, a cryptozoologist uh, idea in mind. We're not really even ufologists. We're, we're interested in the, in the subject, and I know more about it now these days because of Hellier than I, than I ever did before. But we come from a pretty solid, you know, very ghosty background. We were all part of ghost hunting teams, you know. Uh, Carl and Connor were the resident investigators at the Stanley Hotel for many years. That's our background. So we didn't really know what we were doing going, going into caves and going into mines. You know, we're nerds that would sit in rooms with, uh, you know, EMS meters and, you know, get comfortable and try not to fall asleep sometimes. So the the idea of going into a, into mines and caves and the idea of trudging around you know the Appalachian mountains in places that we didn't have cell phone signal and people were a little distrusting sometimes um yeah that was pretty scary well and and Dana too you know with your other experiences your other investigations you're usually dealing with you know what it is you're trying to communicate with what you're trying to find is is dead so you don't really have to worry about what can happen to you. But now you're dealing with something that could be very much alive and very physical and, and able to hurt you in some way. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And, you know, you can't help but think about also just what kind of animals are out there. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's true. There's a lot of factors, I think, that, that go into uh, doing this kind of stuff that are a lot different than like Greg said, when you're, you know, investigating a place where, you know, you're just you're talking to people that have died and, and you're you're trying to communicate with people that have died. How, how do you communicate with a goblin if you meet one? How do you, you know, like, how do you have that kind of community? Like, what is that even going to be like? So those things, those factors are all kind of playing in um, the entire time, which definitely it puts you on edge, you know, because you, you don't really know how to um process everything um which was definitely something that i think we were all experiencing at certain points and and greg forgive me if i'm stereotyping but you're dealing with an area where especially you know if you're talking about remote out of the way places in kentucky you know there's I, i've watched the documentaries uh, i've seen what goes on in <laughs> appalachia i see you know what kind of uh, uh illegal businesses are going on and uh, you've got to worry about, you know, you're out there wandering around there and, and you never know who's going to come at you and wondering why you're on their property. Well, I mean, that's, that's a big thing, too, is uh, we were very careful that we everywhere we went, we had permission to go. Um, we didn't trespass on anybody's land or anything like that. Uh, we had ideas of where this stuff might have happened. We've changed our minds on that a few times. Uh, and, and so, you know, there it does get kind of scary when you're going up these roads where 
you really need a four-wheel drive vehicle to, to go, and there's lots of houses up there. Like I said before, a lot of the people that, that decide to live out in these places, they're living there because they want to be away from people. So you don't – it's very hard to just roll up to somebody's house in the middle of nowhere and then get up the courage to knock on the door and ask if they've seen anything strange because to them, sometimes you're the strangest thing they've seen and they don't get people out there doing stuff like that. Well, uh, but it's, so, one, it's one thing, though, to deal with those people, to deal with people who – uh, have been around people and decided to move there to get away from them. But you're also dealing with people who have never been around people, you know, people who have only known that environment growing up. So they must have felt like you were even more of an outsider. Oh, for sure. Um, but but even then, you know, we met a lot of people like that. And sometimes those people are the best people to talk to because those people, they have lived there their entire life. They know what's weird. They know who's weird. They know the stories. Uh, those are the people that, that ideally you, you want to talk to if you can get them comfortable enough to speak to you. Uh, I think I had a bit of a leg up on some of the other guys because I grew up in a very rural area. I grew up in a very rural area of northern Pennsylvania. People called it Pennsylvania. <laughs> so I was used, you know, my dad was a Baptist minister. He, he talked to everybody. He had to be good at it. So fortunately, uh, I think a little of that rubbed off on me. And I wasn't quite as nervous, I think, as some of the city slickers on the team. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Dana, there's a question here in the chat room from Mylene. She wants to know if the people who had encountered these goblins uh, said if there was any way that they had been able to communicate with them. Um, not I don't. I mean, I not that I can think of off the top of my head. Like, do you? Can you answer that better than me, Greg, since I'm literally just going, um. <laughs> there really wasn't any communication. Yeah. You know, at least, at least from David, the the closest he got was. There were they sounds. Were, yeah, they, they, they made a sound that he described like a skunk um, and that they, they kind of chattered to each other. And he never had the opportunity to speak to them because uh, he, he caught them one night they were going through his shed and they were taking like his wreath and, and shoving it in, a, in his mailbox and like doing weird stuff, tapping on his kids' windows at night. His kids would talk about the, the, the bald kids, the bald kids who, who were bald like grandpa who were tapping on the windows. And so it was a very scary situation. It wasn't anything that seemed like there was going to be much dialogue there. Yeah. And then after David disappeared, I mean, there was nothing. We we couldn't get any further, at least at that time. Mm. Um, as as you're telling me these stories, all I'm thinking about, and they don't they don't have the same physical characteristics. It doesn't sound like, but all I'm thinking about is puckwudgies. You know, everything in this oh, area sure. kind of comes back to that. But but that's one of those things where you you start to notice that sometimes, like even with the Kentucky Goblins, the description that David gave of these these entities, these creatures, whatever they were, they didn't have the really big ears that you'd normally see with the, the Hopkinsville goblins. Um, with the Hopkinsville goblins, no one ever really saw the feet. So sometimes the feet are depicted like suction cups, saying that they floated. And David said, these things hop. But there's enough there in the way these things acted to feel like there's something. You know, it's that idea of having a different lens. 
Mm-hmm. Depending on the different region, sometimes maybe the person who had the initial response, the initial interaction, they viewed it a certain way. Because mm-hmm. I think I mean, that there, there is a, even, a very when you look psychological at Hopkinsville too. Um, case. There's even interesting kind of details like, you know, you mentioned Greg them having kind of these large ears, and at one point. Um, they shot at them uh, back in 1955, and they described the bullets kind of pinging off them as if they were sort of made out of, like, you know, they had some sort of tin kind of exterior or something, something that was protecting them. So, again, there's the, then your, your mind kind of goes like, well, maybe they were wearing helmets or maybe that's, maybe there was something that made them look different. Um, but, again, like, you know, we mentioned earlier, when you talk to people, and we, uh, specifically – along that chain and and there are so many similar stories you know with the they're just called different things or there are little slight kind of differences you can't help but find that correlation you know i mean one of the things that when it comes to the hopkinsville goblins i I always kind of made that correlation here in massachusetts with the dover demon which Mm. you know didn't have ears that we know of or had little small ears based on uh the the drawings but you know, the same kind of idea, the same kind of physical characteristics. So just because there's a concentration of them in Kentucky doesn't mean that they can't be the same things that are uh, popping up individually in other places. Well, when you when you look at the images that this guy sent and some of the drawings that we, we tried to mock up based on these these uh, images, it, it really does look exactly like the Dover Demon. I mean that's it's it's super obvious that it looks very close to it, um, but you know you look at things like like gray aliens and if they mm-hmm. were down on all fours they would look like the Dover Demon too. Yep. So I think there's there's way more crossover to these things than people realize, and it's just people have given them different names, but uh, they're all the same thing. So now the the series will drop on on Friday on on PlanetWeird.com. Oh, uh, it'll be on Friday at midnight, so you'll be able to see it at uh, 12.01 a.m. It'll be streaming on Amazon Prime, so if people have Amazon, they can watch it there. They can go to YouTube, Vimeo. It'll be on hellier.tv, uh, and you'll be able to find the episode descriptions and some bonus features and things like that over there, too. So, uh, yeah, there's plenty of ways to watch it. We wanted it to be as open and accessible. It'll be free. You don't have to buy it. Um, yeah, we're really excited about it. And I have to say, you know, I've I've seen a lot of people who have, you know, kind of launched their their own little series on their websites, you know, limited series, I mean not not to say little, but you know, their own short series on on their websites, but I've never seen one get as much attention as as this one has to see, you know, I think it was what Bloody Disgusting has covered this sci-fi channels this this has been everywhere. I I think that that's uh we we have a really great bunch of cooks in the kitchen i think <laughs> i think you know the one thing that uh you don't see a whole lot of in fact <clears throat> excuse me i think this is the first time anyone's ever used a super wide anamorphic lens for a, a paranormal series um carl went out of his way to make sure that we had a lens that gave the same kind of effect that you would see in the old 80s movies like et um, so he's using cinema, cinematography lenses, like actual cinema lenses, um, shot in super wide screen. So it has a very, very cinematic feel, has a very distinct look. Uh, and I think that that, you know, people see the trailer and they don't, they don't assume that it was made as, as inexpensively as it was. 
so I think between that and the fact that there's a, a really interesting story and it's something that you don't see a lot of, um, I think that it's just uh, a really perfect magic combination. And I mean, yeah, as you're saying, it just it looks beautiful, and and people can check out the trailer. And when you when you look at it, not only does it have that great visual representation, but it's so so much tension. Is that something, Dana, that we can expect through through watching all the episodes to have that kind of that tension carry throughout? Absolutely. I I always it's funny. I think that everyone is going to kind of be transported there with us and there's you're definitely going to like be coming along on that adventure but um definitely expect to uh, kind of be uh, you know a little bit wound up <laughs> at the end of every episode it's it's definitely going to uh give you as much anxiety as we felt the entire time and I love it. I love it because you can control it. You can kind of, uh, you know, it's 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 your vision and Carl's. You know, it's everybody coming together to decide how you want to present it. Instead of going out there and getting all this footage and then having to send it to, you know, some networks editor and then they start putting over some some cheesy voiceover that you weren't, you, you didn't really <laughs> think fit into the moment. You know, you're able to present it as as close to what it is that you experience as you can. And so the audience gets a chance to actually be there with you kind of as it's happening. Absolutely. I, I mean, I think that was something that was really important to all of us. I mean, I know it was something that was really important to all of us was to, uh, you know, try, try to document investigation. So it does, it does, it's not staged. It's not produced. It's, it's what really happens on an investigation. And Carl has such a great eye and such a uh, an amazing way of kind of bringing it bringing people into the experience, but really at the end of the day, you know, it, it was just uh, documenting an investigation. And, and I really think that that integrity kind of will hold. I know people will definitely feel that throughout the entire series. So, and how many parts? It's it's five parts to the series? Yeah, there's yes, five, uh, there's five yep. episodes, and they're uh, around an hour each. And uh, it'll blow by. It'll be over before you know it, and you're gonna want to know if you're gonna want to know what's what's next. Um, it's surprising. Well, I mean, I'm just I'm already making a, a plan to binge watch, so I know I'm gonna have to take a nap before that so that I can stay up all night and watch it. And then, that was that was an important kind of detail. We you know being able to binge watch something is you know it's nice to kind of stretch it out, but there's nothing better than kind of losing an entire Saturday just binge watching something. So. Um, everyone is definitely going to want to just sit and kind of enjoy the whole thing all at once, I'm assuming. And, and if it's anything like the, the trailer looks, you know, you're, it, you might as well just binge watch it and stay up till 5 a.m. anyway because uh, you're not going to go to sleep. You're not going to watch two episodes <laughs> of this and then go to bed. <laughs> You'll exactly. lay in bed thinking about it. You'll have too many questions, I promise. <laughs> at the end of each episode, you're just going to sit there and go, oh, God, what does that mean? And what I like about it too is, you know, it's it's a good it's a good template almost for other people to say, okay, you know, I get these emails. You know, I don't think anybody gets the same emails that you guys get. I've 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 heard about some of the emails that you've gotten over the years, and <laughs> I don't think anybody gets. Maybe Tenny, Tenny might get them like you guys, but Tenny might, yeah. But you know, maybe people will start taking this and saying, "Okay, instead of just going out there for my own edification, let me at least film this and see where it goes." Because there's probably tons of 
cases like this that people could find that would take them down these weird and unexpected paths, but they just don't think to, you know, to, to, to follow those paths. They, they just they look at it from a straightforward perspective. They try to fit it into into the scope of and the lens of what it is that they do, and then they let it go. So maybe this will start helping other people who follow weird cases to start putting together and see the forest for the trees. I think that's a, a huge part of our biggest hopes for Hellier is that uh, other investigators, for sure, well, maybe because when you know, even now, there's people who they they hear, oh, it's about goblins and they scoff, but it's really it's more than about that. And I think that that's part of what we're trying to show people is that if you blow something off simply because of what someone's telling you, that's their experience. Uh, it might be a different experience for you, but if they if they follow through and they don't ignore the weirdest emails, sometimes you're going to find things that you would never find any other way. Uh, I hope it helps people kind of em- embrace the overall weirdness, and I hope it'll help ghost hunters look at UFOs, and I hope it'll help cryptozoologists look at you know paranormal phenomena, and understand that there's something bigger and stranger and weirder going out there, and quite often it's giving you a push, it's trying to push you in a direction. You just have to not fight the current. And, and the the phrase that stood out to me when I when I saw the press release come across my screen, the phrase that stood out to me was cerebral documentary. And and knowing you guys, I know that you're never going to present something as just what it is on the surface. You're never just going to present it as here's what it is, here's what we went and looked into, and here's what we found. You're going to really dig into the the how and the why and what it can be. And, and Dana, that's got to be the most satisfying part of this is to be able to, you know, not only be able to go out and have your own experiences with this, but to put that in perspective into the larger part of this legend and other legends that can be associated and to realize that, you know, you are in the rare moment of being able to be part of something that is, you know, just modern day mythology. Uh, absolutely. I mean, it's one of the one of the major reasons why we wanted to to do this ourselves and why we, you know, Carl, you know, was going to be kind of the driving force behind documenting this and and crafting this was the idea that, you know, we wouldn't have other people, people's input who weren't as invested in the phenomena as we are. And that was really important, uh, you know, to have every single person be so, so invested. And I mean, that's, that's what we got and i mean it really at the end of the day is why uh, it, it is going to be such a trip for people to uh experience hellier so everybody can check that out it's going to drop at 1201 uh this coming friday i know exactly where i'll be i'll be on my couch with all the lights on uh, <laughs> <laughs> well maybe i'll turn them off uh when i start watching but they'll definitely be on by the end and uh but for those of you in this area those of you listening who are on the south coast of massachusetts here in new england you know, it's one of the questions that I hear more often than not is when are Greg and Dana going to come back to New England? And, and you guys are actually coming back to New England uh, very soon. You'll, you guys will be in Rhode Island in April. Yeah, we're going to be at the uh, X-Files Festival. It's a fan-run festival that celebrates all things X-Files. And we're going to be there with the Traveling Museum of the Paranormal and the Occult. Uh, we're super, super excited because uh, obviously we're massive X-Files fans. 
So uh, to be invited to a, an X-Files celebration is huge for us. So, yeah, we're super, super excited. Uh, we try and get out to, to uh, New England as much as possible. Um, we love it there. So, yeah, April. Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited. So it's going to be happening at the Crown Plaza Providence in Warwick, uh, April 26th through the 28th. You can get your tickets. Uh, Eventbrite has uh, all the tickets up there. But we're going to be talking more about it in the coming weeks. We're going to have the organizers come on the show. And, and I know Matt Moniz is going to be there, and I'll, I'll, I'm going to be coming by as well. And uh, Tom Reed will be there. Gary McKinstry, the, you know, people that people, uh, folks that people have heard on this show over the years are going to be there as, as well as a, a number of other folks. So it's absolutely worth going and checking out. And, uh, I, have, have you been through Rhode Island before? Because Rhode Island is, is a weirdness unto itself. <laughs> we have had the distinct pleasure of being through Rhode Island. <laughs> I, I, listen, there's, there's, there's a, a rivalry between Massachusetts and Rhode Island, but it's it's not really a rivalry because we win. You know, oh, Rhode Island uh, is just so strange. I wouldn't say any contest. Yeah, but it's, I mean, I don't I don't want to be one of those mass holes, but I will be when it comes to to putting down Rhode Island. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. We, we we I remember going all the way back to I think it was 2007. You know, the first year of doing this show, or maybe it was 2008. But we had, you know we had just started doing this show. We were only a, a short time into it, and they had a, a convention in Rhode Island uh, called Paranormal X: The Gathering, and. It brought together, you know, the folks from Ghost Hunters and, and, and a lot of other area investigators. Uh, we actually did a, a live remote from there, and we got to interview Chris Williams in her first ever radio appearance. And so it was really cool, but nothing ever really went back to Rhode Island again in all those years since. So I'm so glad that somebody has decided to uh, to put something together and that they've invited you guys to come out and bring the Traveling Museum of the Paranormal and the Occult with you because I don't... We, we've talked about some of these items on the show before, but folks, until you are there and you are seeing them for yourself, you don't understand. You, you really need to see the, or, or at least join the museum and, uh, and become a member and, and watch some of the webcams and see what goes on. And then you'll have an idea of exactly why it's so exciting to have these, these items coming here to this area. I mean, we love you guys, of course, but we're really excited to see the, <laughs> hey, listen, to see the realize objects. we're just, uh, glorified handlers at this point. You really are. You're just, you're basically just the street team for Billy now. <laughs> we're roadies. Yeah, it's the truth. <laughs> They're literally, like, we were on our way to an event on Mackinac Island, uh, like a year ago, and you have to take the ferry over. There's no cars, there's no bridges. And uh, I typically keep Billy very close, and he was in my backpack, and his head was sticking out. And uh, at least two or three people said, oh, hi, Billy, and completely ignored me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I if listen, if Billy's going to be there, I know one person that will be, too. Uh, right now, Stephanie's like whole body is tingling. She doesn't understand why. She's she's homesick tonight, but she'll know what exactly when we're starting to talk about Billy because those two are just they're in love with each other. Uh, he has that effect. And does he have that effect with other other people that are that are the same way? I, I imagine there must be others that when they're in his presence, they have that same type of a reaction. I'll send you a photo of his altar, and you can tell me. <laughs> Well, we'll, we'll make sure we bring him. We will definitely be bringing him some sort of an offering. Uh, maybe, maybe he, maybe, uh, maybe Billy can get one of the last remaining spooky South Coast bumper stickers. Matt, what do you think? Should we? Ooh, should we give perfect. him one of those? <laughs> but uh, so, I mean, I know that you guys have been, you know, uh, chronicling everything on the uh, the Power Museum website, and and people can sign up for that. They can join up. They can join up with your Patreon. Let everybody know how they can uh, get involved with all that stuff, Dana. 
Yeah, so if they, uh, all you really have to do is, we're pretty much everywhere. You can find us on Facebook. We're the Traveling Museum of the Paranormal and the Occult. We have an Instagram. Um, and then uh, what is the address for the museum's Patreon? Uh, it's uh, patreon.com slash paramuseum. Paramuseum. So it couldn't be any easier. And uh, and I have, you know, people all the time that are, like, calling me up and they're saying, uh, I have this item and I think there's something going on. I just say, you know, just contact Greg and Dana. I used to tell well, them to... You, you've actually, uh, you actually facilitated one of the items in the museum's collection, you and mm-hmm. Stephanie. It, we we had it here at the studio for a brief, uh, you know, just for a couple of days. And uh, from the stories that I heard, I'm glad that they're now in your possession instead of uh, being here. <laughs> are you still using I, those, those? Those were the tarot cards, uh, Dana. Are you still using those uh, on a regular basis? Yeah, they're very interesting. I mean, we I probably, because of the nature of the cards themselves, use them a lot more than, like, I interact with them almost as much as maybe Billy on a regular basis. And I honestly really think that the the woman who owned them before is kind of still working with them. Because I, I obviously own a billion tarot decks. I, I'm a bit of a hoarder. Um, but that deck specifically is strangely accurate constantly. So I have a sneaking suspicion that whoever owned uh, the deck before is still kind of using them to, to a degree. And I kind of just, uh, you know, I, I work with them uh during paranormal investigations, actually, is when I find that they're the most accurate. They can really tell the story of a, a location and what's actually going on in the location. So I've kind of, you know, I've been using them a lot for that. But um, we've gotten a lot of people sort of picking up vibes from them just when they're on display in the museum, too. They tend to be a piece that people really kind of gravitate towards. Well, I love that. I love the fact that they're, you know, they're carrying that energy through because, you know, a lot of times people call you up and say, I have this item. There's something going on with it. You take the item away from the person and you realize it wasn't actually the item that was causing, that was the cause of all this extra energy. So to know that whatever is there and, and whoever is there kind of stayed attached to those cards, uh, you know, it's, it sounds weird, but it's, it's heartwarming. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, you know, I, I can imagine that if it were, if there were tools that someone used in life, um, professionally and, and with people, she she or he were probably really connected to them. So they probably were, you know, something that was very important. So to have someone kind of respecting that kind of connection and allowing that connection to still be, I can imagine, if it were me, I'd be really happy with that. Well, we're getting a question in the chat room about where the, the tarot cards came from. They actually were, uh, we were contacted by, by a friend of ours, a, a listener, and somebody who comes to some of our, our investigations who said, you know, I have these tarot cards and, and I, I, I can't keep them because there's, there's some sort of energy attached to them and all kinds of weird stuff is happening and I just kind of want to get rid of them, but I don't want to throw them away. And so I said, well, I would, take them off your hands because it just so happened that it was only a couple of days before we were going to be meeting up to go on the uh, the strange escapes cruise so i mm-hmm. said I'll, I'll i'll be able to give them to, to greg and dana and they can decide if they want to you know hang on to them they can figure out what to do with them and and um oh, actually no it was provincetown provincetown that's we were right. just about to go to because i remember like that's when we we gave them to you and uh and kind of almost right away you you picked up on there being something around them yeah yep um, yeah, I think either even because we, with a lot of the newer objects, sometimes because of the nature of how many events that we do, we see a lot of the same people at events. And I want to say that um, Chip actually 
uh, sat with them at one point and kind of gave us a little bit of insight because every once in a while when we get a new thing, he likes to sort of sit with it and give us a little bit of a vibe from it. And I think that he had mentioned also um, that he felt as if the person who had used them at one point uh, was still kind of, there was some sort of connection that was still there. Yeah, and I remember uh, on on the cruise, you were reading, uh, you know, giving somebody a reading with them, and that person came back and said, listen, I've had a bunch of those readings, but, like, this was kind of off the charts. Uh, yeah, they're they're really accurate. They really are. Like, I've never, I've never uh, used them and not felt pretty confident with what uh, they were kind of telling me. So they're, they're a really interesting piece. So uh, you can see those. You can see Billy. You can see all kinds of items when, uh, when the Traveling Museum comes to Rhode Island coming up in just a few months. Uh, and I've, I've been kind of following along with some of the other things that, that you've been doing, but have you brought in some new additions uh, since the last time you were here in New England? Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. my gosh. <laughs> we... Um, because of the nature of what we do, I mean, people bring us things at events all the time, and people send stuff to our P.O. box all the time. So there, there's uh, tons and tons of new stuff. Specifically, I mean, we've kind of had a nice little break here uh, between kind of December and, and into January. And even in that time, we've received a handful of objects. They just sort of people contact us, and they appear in our P.O. box, or we go and pick them up. So there's always new stuff. We just got one. Uh, in December, December 3rd, it arrived. And it's probably the most screwed up piece anyone's <laughs> ever sent us. Uh, it's, it, it apparently has a whole history that we were unaware of. Somebody called into this podcast called Night Call. And it's just people who call in and they, you know, the hosts talk about stuff. Um, they call into the voicemail. And somebody called in because, uh, a couple girls out of the Buffalo, New York area commissioned him to build a spirit board. He has a little private uh, wood shop, and he said, well, okay, I've never made one before, but, you know, what What do you want it to look like? Uh, what kind of wood do you want? And they said, well, we already have the wood we want you to use. Hmm. They brought him blood-stained wood that they had pried up from a murder scene in 2015 uh, from a house that was condemned after people were murdered and set on fire and actually commissioned this spirit board and so he called in to see if it was ethical to make it. He went ahead and made it because they paid him the deposit. They got freaked out and didn't come pick it up so he wrestled with whether it was okay to sell it and not tell someone where it was from, or to sell it potentially to someone who'd use it for the wrong reasons, knowing where it was from. And uh, someone told him to send it to us, and uh, it is really spooky. And, and will you be bringing that with you, or? Uh, I'm sure we'll bring it. We've been trying to bring some stuff that we we call the, the volatile artifact display. So there's some things that are. We, we normally are okay with people handling stuff because we want them to have an experience, but there's a few things that are off limits, and we haven't decided what one this one's going to be yet because, uh, to be perfectly honest, we've, since December, kept it in its box because it's just not very nice. We haven't done really many experiments with it, so... Well, I mean, you have between now and the end of April, so we'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's true. In well, that if you time. don't see us at the festival, 
you know what happened. <laughs> yeah, you know the board got them. <laughs> is is has there been? Um, I mean, I understand that you know when you bring them out to people and and people are going to handle them and people are going to hopefully be respectful of what's going on. But has there been anything that's been kind of overwhelmingly bad for the person that has handled the items? I know of a few people that have had like dreams and stuff, but I don't think I've heard personally any stories of anybody that, you know, paid any kind of heavy price for having handled any of the objects. We're, we're really careful about the ones that we travel with. I mean, we receive objects, uh, more in more frequency kind of now, um, or more frequently recently, but um, ones that we would never uh, bring into the general public just because of the nature of the stories kind of attached to them and uh, maybe the trauma associated with them. Um, but uh, we're usually pretty careful about which ones we, we travel with just because we would never want to kind of bring anything into the general public that pot- could potentially be dangerous. So, um, I mean, aside from some dreams and, and especially, you know, if, if and this is the the nature of what happens, but for people who are sensitive or psychic or have any kind of abilities, it can be very overwhelming for them a lot of the time when they kind of walk up or walk into the tent and and experience it sometimes for the first time. That's a lot of stuff kind of coming at you all at once. So there's definitely a lot of kind of anxiety. Uh, that happens quite often. But um, anything that would be super dangerous, we just would never risk bringing to the general public. We we obviously will take, uh, take it from people. Uh, uh, but we wouldn't ever kind of bring it to an event or anything like that. Well, and the other thing too is you have to drive with these objects, so you don't <laughs> yeah. you don't want to run the risk of having it. And I know that it has you know objects have kind of caused you some car issues in the past, so you want to try to avoid that as much as you can. I, it's you know I I think after a while you start to you work out a rapport, and so you kind of get an right. idea. Oh, this one's going to be an issue, and you take extra precautions with it. Um, you know, in fact, there's there's an artifact that we uh, we actually took back to where it had been stolen from uh, this fall. Uh, there was an object that we called the crone, mm-hmm. and it was a wooden, a hand-carved wooden statue with nails in its eyes and a noose around its neck. And that's, I think, the only one that's ever really caused anybody any actual harm. Um, we we had to keep it locked up because there was a lot of nasty stuff going on in our place after it arrived. Um, you know, there were people who claimed that they had been in car accidents. Uh, people's eyes would burn around it. Uh, there was a guy at Michigan Paracon who had a seizure after it was taken out of the box, um, in addition to a lot of other weird stuff. And so at that point, we said, well, this thing's just just not safe for anybody. So we actually trekked up into the Catskill Mountains, um, like six miles off of an unmarked trail to go and bury it and leave it. uh, We just kind of put it to rest. And I think that was it. So you you brought it back. Was it to the exact same? Because wasn't it found in a cave? It was found in a cave. Uh, We couldn't find the exact cave. We knew what park it had been taken out of. Uh, So we knew the general vicinity. So what we ended up doing is we, we hiked as far into the mountain, to the, the park as we could. We found an area that felt right and looked right. I mean, the weirdest thing about this was we didn't know exactly where we were going. and We actually learned a lot of stuff while we were in this part of, of, of New York because we'd never been there before. Uh, so we learned a lot about the area. We learned a lot about the beliefs in the area, some of the cultural beliefs, and everything started to make sense. But as we 
we walked up this unmarked path, we started to notice there were nooses hanging in the trees. Oh, wow. Just like around her neck. And it was almost like pointing us in a direction. And we eventually found a spot. And uh, it felt right. It looked right. It was in the park that she had been taken from. And so Dana cast a big circle. We set up our tents. And we did a ritual all night long. And uh, let it out. Uh, Dana, was there any concern on your part about having anything kind of come back at you guys for, for bringing it back there? Yeah, I mean, uh, so the idea really was that we wanted to return her to where she had been taken from because, um, you know, with the story, there, there were two hikers who had taken her. And a lot of the activity we kind of, the conclusion that we came to was a lot of the activity we're experiencing with her was just not going to stop. So we knew we had to bring her back. So, um, I mean, we, I was concerned, and it's one of the reasons why we we uh, created ritual space and we created kind of sacred space so that we were protected. Um, but it was interesting. I mean, it didn't stop the activity from happening. I mean, we went in at the end of October, so we were camping, and it was very cold. <laughs> and um, we had kind of set up tents and, and created, you know, like a general area where uh, we were going to be doing this ritual. And... Um, it was the middle of the night. We were we decided we were going to try to sleep for a couple of hours, two or three hours if we could. And it was so cold. We, you know, we were all uh, three of us, uh, Greg, uh, myself, and our friend Tyler Strand. Uh, we were trying to sleep, and we couldn't because it was so cold. We're all just sort of laying in this tent, and I'm noticing, I noticed it, and then I realized afterwards everyone was noticing it because we talked about it, but we were all hearing something kind of stalking around the outside of our circle area, and it was as if something was kind of trying to, like, test the barrier to see if it could, like, pass through into the space. And it would kind of, like, walk around the side of our tent. And, and you know, at first I thought maybe it was an animal, but we had not seen animals at all. And it didn't – it wasn't an animal. It was – it definitely sounded like heavy boots or, like, like feet kind of moving around our circle space. So, yeah, we, uh, it was a very intense um, night. And, obviously, we did not get a lot of sleep, but um, we kind of did – you know what we set out to do and um left feeling uh, really confident about kind of returning her back to where she really just wanted to be yeah because that's the thing about these you know items is a lot of them probably love being part of the museum and love being uh, you know the center of attention when you put them on display or when people are watching and learning about them on on the website so i'm sure a lot of them uh, you know especially billy for example you know they like that attention but she never really seemed to be an object that really kind of uh, loved that spotlight so much. No, not at all. I mean, really, you know, one of the things that we experience a lot because, you know, of the nature of what we do when we receive an object that kind of has a lot of kind of negative association attached to it, we always try to go into it without um, – we go into it sort of by taking a giant step back and looking at it um, from a little bit different uh, of a perspective. But um, we, we're never kind of ready to attach the word evil or demonic or anything like that to an object, specifically as one that we receive, you know, right away. Um, just because that, that really changes our investigation at that point. So we always try to take a big step back and look at it from... Uh, a wider perspective and so uh yeah she had just she was one object that just at the end of the day did not want to be with us and and we had to respect that and that was you know the main reason why 
we decided at that point that, you know, the ethical thing to do, because, again, if we're talking about objects that have intelligence uh, attached to them, the ethical thing at that point is not to force something to stay where it doesn't want to be, but to return it back to where it wants to be and where it should be. And so that, that was kind of that mission was really returning this object to a place where, you know, no one will be able to find it and, and whatever is attached to it can kind of be left alone and, and um, left to do what it wants to do. What, what's weird is today I, I went to the flea market in my town and I hadn't been there in years. And uh, just today, you know, it was a nice day, so I, I, I took advantage of it. It was cold, but it was sunny, so I was like, oh, i got to clean out my car. i got to go get my car washed and vacuum it out, so I'm going to do that. And I said, oh, yeah, I'm going to go into the flea market. I haven't been there in a long time. And I start walking through, and, and I bought some old vintage radios because I, I love old vintage radios. And I was just about all the way through the flea market when it, it popped into my head, oh, right. We're having Greg and Dana on the show tonight. I hope I wasn't like subconsciously drawn here to go buy some haunted radios or something. So you might be getting a radio to your collection if anything goes wrong tonight when yeah. I get home. You know our number. Any of them act up, you know where to find us. <laughs> well, I do have a, I do have a few items myself because people used to give me stuff, and sure. so. But I've always, you know, I keep them in my shed. I don't let them into the actual house. But <laughs> I have um, somebody gave me a piece of a of an old. Uh, 17th century gravestone that somebody had taken from a graveyard, gave it to a friend. That friend had all kinds of stuff go on in their house, so they gave it to a friend of mine, and then that person said, "Um, yeah, I can't have this in my house anymore. Will you come and take it? (laughs) So I held on to it because I'm thinking to myself, I have to figure out where it came from. So I I contacted a number of – it came from Cape Cod. So I contacted a number of cemetery commissioners on Cape Cod, and they all said, "We, you know, the piece that you're showing us, we have no idea of knowing because wherever it came from, many other pieces have fallen off by now. So I just keep that in my shed because I don't need any of that stuff in my house. (laughs) And then when we went to – a couple of years ago, myself and Stephanie and and John Brightman, we went to the S.K. Pierce mansion to bring Porter uh, from the TWC there. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about how they were going to be um, knocking down the brick wall in the basement that would connect the, the house via the tunnel to where the furniture factory used to be across the street. And so we asked if we could knock some of the bricks down and, and if we could take, and I asked if I could take some of the souvenirs. So I took the bricks and I put them in a box that was in the trunk of my car. And we were going to another location that night for an event. And so. There was one person who was really upset that he couldn't go with us to that to the S.K. Pierce mansion, so I gave him one of the bricks, and I kept the other one in my car. And he brought that brick home, put it in his room, and would wake up and get scratched. He, he'd find scratches on himself. Uh, all oh, kinds wow. of weird stuff was going on in his room. So ever since he started telling me that, I've never taken that brick out of my car. <laughs> so today as I'm cleaning out the car, I'm like, no, you're not coming in the house. You're staying there. Uh, even if I have to take everything else out of the car, that brick stays. I mean, we've got some stuff that we won't bring in the house. Um, there's there's not much of it, but uh, there's a few things that we just we just won't let them pass the threshold. They just they sit outside. Uh, sometimes they're in the trunk. Sometimes they're it's kind of in the in the stairwell. Sorry, downstairs neighbor. <laughs> but there's a few things we won't bring in. I mean, are they? Is it anything in? Like, is there anything to the to the object itself, or is it just the feeling that you're getting from it? Uh, I mean, there's there's 
some stuff that's got some super, super bad vibes put into it. Sometimes it's just the people who gave them to us. Uh, mm-hmm. Sometimes it's whatever it was. I mean, for instance, there's a, an, an object called, uh, well, the guy who, who made it called it Hatred. And it's a really nasty little bit of work. And he claimed that an entity in the forest told him to construct it because it would be easier for them to communicate. He wouldn't have to go to the forest all the time. He could just use the, the object. And um, it's built, uh, it's a, a very twisted face with horns wrapped in burlap. And uh, the thing that you can't tell right away is there's sharpened pieces of metal underneath the burlap uh, so that if you hold it, you just pick it up, and you're not thinking, you'll bleed on it. Oh. And um, there's nothing good about that thing. No, uh, in fact, I, I thought I was probably going to get murdered when we picked it up. It was probably the scariest artifact pickup we've ever had. Um, I threw up after it. I was so nervous. Yikes. I, I was looking for an escape route the whole time. It was one of the few times where I felt that feeling where it's was like, oh, shoot, something's going to kill me. This guy is going to murder me. Bad. Yeah, we're you're. I, I distinctly remember. I mean, we we talk about it a, a lot because I think it probably, like you said, Greg, it is definitely one of the worst object pickups we've ever had. But it was like one of those experiences where your kind of reptile brain fight or flight kicks in, and you are like looking for like possible escape routes and like you know try you're no you're trying to communicate or pay attention to the person who's talking to you but at the same time you're very aware of the fact that you should be aware of you know if you need to run away or Mm -hmm. you need to get out of here what's the best kind of direction you need to be going in that was uh, definitely one of the most intense ones we've ever had so for anybody out there listening that has ever like sold something to somebody on craigslist and had to meet up with them somewhere weird to (laughs) to do the sale it's like that times a million (laughs) <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty much. Well, Pretty I, much. I remember there was a, I, I think I've told this story on the show before. I'm not sure if I have, but there was um, a, a production company actually from up in Toronto that had reached out to Chris Balzano and I when our Haunted Objects book had come out, and they wanted to film a pilot about Haunted Objects. So they asked Chris and I to, to, to kind of uh, film a little sizzle reel for it. And so they came, they flew Chris up from, from Florida, and they met us here in Massachusetts, we went to that same flea market that I went to today, but I tried to reach out to somebody that I knew had a haunted chair, or mm-hmm. a supposedly haunted chair, and it, it turned into a whole thing where he was supposed to meet us, and then he said he was, the night before, he's like, I can't do it, I have car trouble, and I said, oh man, you know, these producers are coming all the way from, from Canada, like, they're really counting on you to be there. It was like, well, maybe I can work something out, and it just turned into this whole thing where he kept trying to duck us for the entire Saturday that we were filming. And then finally I, I convinced him that he had to show up and let us in and, and show us the chair. So he did. But I'd never seen a person under the spell of an inanimate object as much as this guy was with this chair in the same room. Like, it, he would stay far away from it. it he kept it in a store, in, in, a, in a, 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 a building that his parents owned, their, their former shop. But he used to live in the apartment over it. And it was in the apartment. But when he moved out of that apartment, he put it in this area and, and hadn't been back to see it since. And it just it had a power over him. And he would stay at the other side of this this room. But every time that Chris and I went over near the chair, he would, like, start getting all protective of it, like, start moving toward us like he was going to mm-hmm. stop us. And, yeah. And I you said to him. a lot, yeah. I said, it's so obvious that you, you, you don't want this in your life anymore. Just Just let us take it. And he looked at me, and his eyes got even wider, and he said, oh, no. 
no, I can't ever let anybody else have this. And it just it, it just stuck with me to see that mm-hmm. and to see like that's the power that, that an object can have over a person. I mean, that's one of the things that we talk about quite a bit because uh, I'm, I'm sure, as you've noticed, there's a, there's a, a market for haunted objects. I and mean, if you go to eBay mm-hmm. and type in haunted doll, you'll find a billion of these things. Which, by the uh, way, 95% of them probably aren't haunted. Oh, no. I mean, I mean, they're definitely not. I mean, I, I've had so many conversations with people about these because when you, when you meet someone who has a haunted object, in, in our experience, they respond one of two ways. They either want to get rid of it at all costs, like money is not no object. I had a guy just the other day who was so desperate to get rid of something that he was like, he wanted to throw money at me. And I said, no, just put it in the mail. Drop it in the mail and send it to me. They're so desperate, they'll pay you to take it. Or you get the extreme opposite of that which is someone who would never part with it for any amount of money ever. There's really no in-between there. So if you find something that's in the in-between, that's when you really need to ask yourself, is this really legit? Yep. No, and but and you see the, the, the just the haunted tag alone on stuff, you know, it kind of drives up the price for, for people. I When we went to that flea market to film, a lady had a doll, one of those, uh, it has like a crocheted skirt, a crocheted dress, and you would put mm-hmm. it on top of a toilet paper roll on a on a toilet tank. I don't know if that's like just a an old New England thing here, but we used to have those where my grandmother had one on on her toilet. And it's just this this like a Barbie doll with a crocheted dress. I and, know exactly the type. And so I'm looking at this thing, and I'm like, oh, my my mother used to have one of those. And and uh, I asked the lady, is there anything here on your table that has you know that might be haunted? And she's like, yeah, actually, yeah, that doll over there. And uh, I said, well, how much is it? And She's like, oh, it's uh, it's twenty dollars. She said as as she was peeling off the five dollar price tag. That was on. <laughs> right. So, I mean, it's one of the things that you know Greg and I lecture a lot about is really kind of critically thinking about what a haunted object is. And usually, if someone is trying to sell you something, ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the time, it's not a haunted object. They're just hustling you because they know that you're going to spend money on it. So, uh, you know, it's one of the things that we talk a lot about is really the ethics of kind of like being a collector of these objects and, you know, and, and also just not getting taken advantage of because it happens so often. Like, you know, we were saying, all you have to do is type in the word haunted object into eBay and, and you'll get thousands and thousands and thousands of options. But it's really just stuff that people are, you know, putting on there hoping that someone will buy. And, you know, you've got to be... You know, being curators and caretakers of objects that are legitimately haunted, we are always just trying to help people kind of tap into that critical uh, critical thinking about this type of stuff and, like, being, you know, smart about the way that they're thinking about haunted objects. I, I always say that the... Uh... You know, the only way to be sure that it's really haunted is if they're offering to pay you to take it instead of uh, <laughs> exactly. asking you for money, or if they're never willing to 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 give it to anyone. Right. Yeah. That's well. That's when it gets even more creepy. Like that's yeah. The, those those and, and I'm sure you guys have probably had that happen where you've you know you've come and taken something off somebody's hands because they just want to get rid of it and then they furiously start contacting you trying to get it get it back. Absolutely. Oh. Yeah. Oh, I mean that's one of the reasons one of the biggest rules that we have. We have people who want to. I mean, there's people who, there's a guy who sent us a, uh, like a, a couple months ago a Polaroid of this full body, like really strange doll, and he wanted to lend it to us for a while. But the problem is, 
when they do that, if we give it any bit of notoriety, you know, we've had people who've given us something, it gets a bit of notoriety, and then they ask for it back, and then they sell it. Um, because that's their plan all along, is they just they just want to drive the price up. Uh, so we, yeah, anything that comes to the museum stays with the museum. That's the, that's the rule that we've had to have uh, for the last few years, because it happens, you know, that type of thing happens. People try and take advantage. Well, I know you guys are coming here, uh, coming up in the spring, but where else can people see the museum uh, coming up in 2019? God, we're going to be all over the country. Uh, we'll be at the Queen Mary with Strange Escapes. We're doing an event in Hawaii with Strange Escapes. Um, we'll be, uh, I mean, if, if, if anyone's curious about where we're going to be in Arizona for the first time, that'll be cool. Um, but if people are curious, they can just go to paramuseum.com. And uh, everything's listed by state. Uh, there's a very good chance that we'll be in a town near near you. And I, I know that you guys are going to Hawaii. If I can just give you a little bit of advice, if you go into any caves and find any tiki necklaces, don't take them. <laughs> Leave them alone. And don't go yeah. surfing if you do take one. <laughs> yeah, you got it. We have lots of reasons to be scared of caves these days. <laughs> there's like there's like five people that right now listening to the show that remember the Brady Bunch and are like, oh, I know what he's talking about. <laughs> well, I look forward to uh, to getting the chance to hang out with you guys coming up, and uh, and certainly everybody should join up with the museum, become members. There's lots of perks for you if you do become a member, uh, and of course you get to be part of something really cool and and all the different levels that you guys have. I mean, I know people who uh, their favorite day of the month, Dana, is when they get their Magic of the Month uh, delivery. So. You you put absolutely. a lot of thought into those. Oh yeah, absolutely. I uh, they're my favorite favorite thing. Uh, you know, hand making magic. I've been practicing magic for twenty two years. So the, the fact that I get to hand make all of these magical goodies for so many people is literally pretty much the best thing on the planet. Well, there you go, people. You have to go and sign up and join up, and you can get that for yourself. And uh, and of course, definitely tune in Friday. Watch Hellier. I can't wait. Uh, I know that uh, you know when I do the show next week and I'm barely awake, I'll have you guys to blame. I mean, thank for that. So, <laughs> anytime. All right, take care, uh, Greg and Dana. We will talk to you soon. Thank, thank you so much you. for having us, Tim. Take Good care. That is uh, Greg and Dana Newkirk. And, again, you can check out all of their stuff, uh, theparamuseum.com. You can go to weirdhq.com, uh, hellier.tv to see the show. And also it's going to be on Amazon Prime. Uh, and I think, you know, for me, Matt, when it comes to I – love, I love this binge-watching world that we live in now. I love that you don't have to wait for um, the next episode of things to come out. This is probably the one time where I might, judging by what I've seen in the trailer, I might be better off if I could kind of stretch, pace myself a little bit. A little bit maybe. Yeah. 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 Although that's just more prolonged anxiety. Maybe. It looks you, really creepy. Like you might need a, uh, a palate cleanser at the end well, of each ep- episode. You know. You know watch uh, one episode, I've, watch a little cartoons. I've told, yeah, I've told you what you I know. do, right? When I watch like a horror movie or like a paranormal documentary or something. No. Like, especially if I'm, like, alone at night and it's late and, like, it, I have to watch a comedy or something. Oh, do you? Yeah. Just anything to keep my mind off of it. And even, you know, even if it's not something that's necessarily scary, but if it's something that's going to lead me to have scary thoughts, basically if it's anything alien-related, yeah, I'm absolutely going to have to, like, watch, like, a, a Seinfeld a or, yeah. or a taxi or something afterwards. Just something that's <laughs> going to... 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've been watching Taxi on Hulu. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But just anything that it can be that will kind of clear my mind of that. So, uh, yeah. I'm going to watch all five parts of Hellier, and then I'm going to watch like some Curb Your Enthusiasm or something afterwards. Right. Just to, just that palate cleanser, like you said, to get my mind off it. But so, uh, we'll. Until you have a dream where it like just combines the two together. Don't, don't give me any ideas like that subconsciously. <laughs> What's really good about it, this though is like, like Greg was saying, it's on all kinds of different formats, all kinds of different uh, platforms. So even if you don't have Amazon Prime, you're going to be able to watch it on Hellier.tv. Right. So right. you're gonna it's you're gonna over. be able to watch it on YouTube. You're gonna be able to see it on Vimeo. So everybody has, you know, nobody has an excuse not to watch it. And so we can all reconvene next Saturday night. And we can talk about it. Although we won't give any spoilers for those of you who have to wait to watch it, but uh, we can discuss it more next Saturday night when we talk about more paranormal things. And uh, we have uh, we have some pretty intriguing shows coming up. And we have nothing else standing in our way. Tonight was the last night of football. And then we are free and clear until the Red Sox night games start up, which won't be until uh, April. So we'll have plenty of shows coming up for you, including our upcoming 13th anniversary show. It'll be coming up later on this month as well. So stay tuned to SpookySouthCoast.com for all the information about what's coming up. Uh, we did, by the way, announce a few events that are coming up. We will tell you what, I'm going to take a real quick break. We'll play a, a spot. And then when we come back on the other side, I will tell you all about what is coming up on the spooky South Coast docket. Are you intrigued by paranormal talk radio? You love the new paranormal radio app from talk stream live. You'll find a great selection of talk shows covering UFOs, ghosts, strange phenomena, and much more. Download the Paranormal Radio app now and start listening to the very best in paranormal talk entertainment. The Paranormal Radio app, free in Google Play and the iOS app store. All right. So uh, as I said, we have a couple of uh, things that were announced this week. First of all, I'm going to be all over the place coming up in the next few months with my new presentation, Presidential Paranormal. Uh, we'll be talking about all the weird stuff of Washington over the years, uh, Abraham Lincoln's psychic life, uh, the hauntings of the White House, the UFO connections with some of the presidents. So we'll be talking about all of that in Presidential Paranormal. It's coming up. I'll be in, uh, I'll be in Berkeley. I'll be in Plymouth. I'll be in Randolph. And I will be in, there's one other place, but I can't think of where it is. Oh, man. Why am I forgetting where the other place is? Berkeley, Plymouth, Randolph. Well, anyway, it's all up on my Facebook page, facebook.com slash the other Tim Weisberg. And also, there's a couple of investigations coming up as well. Uh, March 23rd at the Oliver House in Middleborough. We're going to be going back to the Oliver House. For those of you who missed it last month because of the holidays, you'll have your chance to come and check out the Oliver House with me. And then uh, also, I'll be leading an investigation on April 20th in Winchenden at the Murdoch Whitney House and the Isaac Morse House. So two two big mansions in one night, uh, all included in that ticket. So right now we're running a special. Instead of the usual $99 ticket price right now, they're $75 a ticket. So you can, uh, it's, it's like buying one, getting one half off. 
So uh, if you want to go get those tickets, you can do so at SpookySouthCoast.com. And, of course, we'll have more events coming up later on in the year. There'll be stuff that, you know, the, the whole Spooky crew will be at, stuff that Stephanie and I will be doing together. And uh, and even there might be some, some Legend Trips rumblings sometime in 2019 as well. So stay tuned to our website for all of that, SpookySouthCoast.com. Follow us on Twitter at SpookySC. Follow us on Instagram at Spooky underscore South Coast, is it? Yep. So uh, all of those different ways to stay in touch with the show. And, of course, you can always email us, SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com. And, you know, I'll just plug it one more time. The Spooky South Coast store. It's up on the website. It's open. All kinds of stuff there for you to get. So for all of you who've been asking us for T-shirts, there you go. No excuse now. Go buy them. And then... uh when I see you walking around in a spooky South Coast shirt, I can follow you home. So until next week, for Matt, for Matt, for Stephanie, I'm Tim. We want you all to stay spooktacular. <laughs>